Welcome back to Takes by the Lake from Cleveland.com. I'm your host, Doug Maurice. Great guest this week that is a guy who is going to be a regular part of the show going forward is Ellis Williams. He's our newest hire here at Cleveland.com. He is a new part of our Browns coverage team. Uh, he started last Monday, the day of the Jets game, and he's diving right in. He's a, he's a smart young guy who played college football, who's doing some film breakdown stuff for us. Um, he's going to bring a lot to our coverage with Dan Lobby, Scott Patsko, and Mary Kay Cabot and uh, me checking in from time to time. But I want to get Ellis involved because I like that kind of conversation. So what we're going to do this week is is dig into a bunch of the red zone plays because a lot of the red zone issues are, are really what's going on with this team. Uh, if the Browns had been better in the red zone against the Rams, they might have won. And so we broke down, especially the four plays at the end of the game. And I think there's some dispute here. And I, and I will say um, I have a lot of respect for all the people out there on Brown's Twitter a lot of the analysts who really dig in on this stuff. Um, I do think sometimes that uh, people's analysis can come with this, a certain a certain degree of certainty, with a certain degree of certainty that, that maybe we don't always know 100% is correct. So I appreciate going hard. I like to go hard, man. I go hard. But... You know, I don't, I don't know if all of us know 100% for sure exactly what's up with this offense right now. And I think several things are in play. And so Ellis and I are going to dig in on the red zone stuff. And I will apologize in advance. For the second time in the last couple months, there were issues when I saved the audio. It corrupted parts of it. I had to splice some of it together. It's fine. If you hear a glitch or two in there, uh, it's just an edit that I had to make that I didn't want to make. We lost a little bit of the conversation, but the conversation is strong enough that I wanted to uh, to retain what we did have. So if something sounds weird at one part or something like, hey, what are they referencing? Maybe I had to cut out something that got corrupted. So I apologize in advance, but listen to it. But I wanted to warn you, I keep it real here. I want to say three things before we get to that. One is subscribe to Project Text. That's Mary Kay Cabot on the Browns. It's also our Browns Insider, where all five of the people I've mentioned so far are part of our Browns Insider newsletter. Every morning you get a a story or a video or a piece of analysis that you don't get on Cleveland.com. You also get texts every day about the team you care about, the Cleveland Browns from Mary Kay Cabot. It's four bucks a month. Try it. 14-day free trial. Go to Cleveland.com slash Browns to try it or go to Ohio State coverage. That's me texting every day it's cleveland.com slash osu go figure it out there 14 day free trial a couple texts a day about the buckeyes from me so please try it three things i want to say one is freddie's got to be better but i pushed freddie in the post-game press conference because here's how i like to approach this stuff i want to go hard at the person in the moment in public put them on the spot and make them answer questions and let them give their side of the story so that's what I did after the game with Freddie Kitchens, and a lot of other people did it uh, on Tuesday at the Browns facility, and I was there as well. But then I want to let their answers influence what I write and what I think, because that's the whole point of asking questions. So I feel like I, and I did, I pushed Freddie the hardest of anybody after the game. I asked 10 of the 20 questions in the postgame. Yeah, did I count it? Yeah, I counted it. I pushed him harder than anybody in the postgame, but I feel like I'm giving him more benefit of the doubt with what I'm writing and thinking now than some other people. Because I think to to not ask a question and then just like fire away and say what an idiot he is, I don't think that's true. 
Um, I think there are things that you can look in the film that Baker is missing opportunities. So Freddie's got to be better. Freddie has to be more creative. Freddie has to do more of what we saw last year. And my point, go read it at cleveland.com. I think he's going to do that in week four. But also, three weeks in is too early to come to a final analysis on any of that stuff. So A, Freddie deserves more of a leash. B, I think Freddie has a chance to get back to what he was last year. Number two is, I know a lot of people are looking at PFF stats and other good statistical analysis that I absolutely believe in and saying that the problem with this Browns offense is not the offensive line. Um, it is, I think, in the fact that I don't know that everybody trusts the offensive line. Is the line itself breaking down every single play? No. Are the individual players grading out poorly in every single aspect of the game every week? No, they're not. The statistical analysis will say that. But I think some component um, of what Freddie's doing, some component of how Baker is playing is related to the fact that I think maybe there is less belief in this offensive line. That, maybe that's wrong because uh, to some degree what people are saying is Baker's holding the ball too long. Freddie's calling plays that take too long to develop. That doesn't seem to be part of that. But I will say, and you'll hear this in the analysis with, with Ellis, there's a lot of criticism that Freddie did not run it in the final four downs from the four. But if you look at the plays they ran earlier in the red zone, they, they tried two running plays that didn't come close to working. Eric Cush got blown up. Aaron Donald on another play destroyed Joel Batonio. So Freddie admitted, and I talked to him extra about it after the press conference, he admitted he absolutely needed to run the ball at least once in the final four plays. If they had come out and slammed the ball running and Eric Cush didn't block a guy or Aaron Donald dominated the line and got a, ta a tackle in the run game, we would have been saying, why did they try to run the ball? when you have an Eric Cush versus Aaron Donald matchup. So I, I get it. When things don't work, you get criticism. But I think we have to keep in mind that, yes, Nick Chubb is a really good running back. I'm not sure the faith is there in the offensive line to try to slam that ball in late in the game. And I think the way they did not run the ball effectively earlier would bear that out. So offensive line, to grade them out is one thing. To have faith in them is another. I think there's a subconscious something going on there because I think three of the five guys you don't trust entirely. The last point is Baker Mayfield. We all see the same stuff. He's he's rolling out to the right. He's getting flushed out of the pocket when he doesn't need to. He's fading on some of his throws. Nobody seems to know why. Uh, I think part of it is that he doesn't trust the offensive line. I think part of it is he has a playmaking thing in his head that it's natural to kind of roll out to your right and think like, well, let me get out here and I'll make a play like I have a million times before in my life. He also stood in and made two great in-the-pocket throws on that last drive to get them down to the four-yard line. So as I wrote in third and short last weekend, a lot of second-year starting quarterback struggle. I wouldn't give up on him. And I think there's some silliness going on. Baker looked great when he got in last year, right? Looked great off the bat. So now there's a, Daniel Jones has played one NFL game. And people are saying, like, Daniel Jones is better than Baker Mayfield because Daniel Jones is at the point in his career that Baker Mayfield was a year ago when he also looked great. Daniel Jones hasn't had the rest of the league catch up to him, which is what's happening to Baker Mayfield right now. So I get it. All this stuff is fun discussion. We're throwing in our two cents. I'm not saying Ellis and I are 100% right about any of this stuff. I hope we give you a different look at this. That's the kind of stuff I want to do every week on Takes by the Lake, whether it's with Brendan Leister, with Brent Sobleski, guys who were on with me last week, whether it's John Costco, um, whether it's Aaron, you know, just guys nationally and locally that I've had on in the past and I'll continue to have on. I like different pieces of analysis on this, but I think it's it's 
worthwhile for all of us to remember that I think in totality, the Browns media and Browns Twitter does an excellent job of analyzing this team. I think individually, uh, we all have to remember that in the moment, um, a lot of us are not going to be 100% right about 100% of the things that we attempt to analyze. Doesn't mean we should stop. I think some humility um, with our with our attempts to think to say what we think is going on is worth having. That's all. So my also, by the way, my wife and I had the conversation this week. If 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 you were to say what is the one personality trait of mine that you would use to describe me first, we decided basically unanimous, unanimously in my family that that personality trait is arrogance. So uh, my humility is always coated in a, in a thick layer of arrogance, but I'm not saying I'm 100% right. I'm saying there's some things to keep in mind about this team, and I have not, have not certainly have not given up on the idea that this offense st- could still look really good this year. So Ellis Williams, our new Browns hire, follow him on Twitter at Book of Ellis. He has some really good stuff up right now at cleveland.com. Make sure you're checking him out along with Scott and Dan and Mary Kay and whatever I throw in. We appreciate you guys listening to Takes by the Lake. Drop in a review whenever you want to. I've seen some nice reviews in the past uh, past week, and that's appreciated very much. But here, uh, here we have me and Ellis, Ellis and I, we, us, breaking down uh, several key red zone plays from this Browns game, and that will be what we're going to do on Takes by the Lake this week. All right, Doug and Ellis here in Berea. We're in the secret Browns studio that uh, I don't even know we could use this, but uh, we appreciate the Browns letting us use their territory to criticize them. Um, <laughs> I played, just to again to lay this down in total transparency, I played high school golf and high school tennis. Uh, Ellis played college football. So um, listen to what he says when we talk about this more than what I say. Ellis, thanks for being on Takes by the Lake for the first time. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm looking forward to this. All right, so what we're going to do is is we want to dive right in. The Browns made four red zone trips on Sunday night and scored 13 points. The Rams made three red zone trips and scored 17 points. So this is not new. This is not great analysis. Ohio State missed a chance at the playoff last year because they couldn't score in the red zone for a couple weeks, and that's that put them on the path to lose at Purdue. Not scoring touchdowns in the red zone kills people all the time. But I want to start at the end of the game – and I, and I want to throw in a caveat here because um, a lot of people are jumping on Freddie. And, and as usual with this kind of stuff, I think people are going overboard. I was harsh on him. And, and I'll make a point about this later. But they did some really good things, Ellis. The, end, the drive to get into the red zone. Baker does look like he's bailing out sometimes, but he made a third and 15 throw in the middle of the yep. field to Jarvis Landry. He yep. made another field where he hung in, another throw where he hung in, took a, a blow to the face from Aaron Donald yep. and completed a pass to Damian Ratley. He showed that he can stand in and make those throws, right? Yep, exactly. And I, you already alluded to those plays. You have to make the plays, obviously, in order to get down into the red zone. Um, the problem is, as you already said, is when you get there, when these windows get tighter, and the execution needs to be flawless, and that's where the Browns fell short on Sunday night. Why do you think, and this is part of what a uh, part of the larger picture, I think, of this whole week. There's the play-calling aspect with Freddie, and Freddie on Sunday night and again here on Monday in Berea said, put the blame on me, put the blame on me, put the sure. blame on me, put the 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 blame on me. And sometimes by the 14th time, it's like, I get it, I admire it, but at yeah. some point it feels dismissive to me. And obviously it's not 
only Freddy. Yep. John Costco, our friend from PFF, who has been on this podcast before, tweeted out today, and these are secret PFF internal statistics <laughs> that we subscribe, and we can't even get these. You have to know the PFF guys. You don't have to know them. They tweet them to everybody. Yeah, yeah. But they have a stat about plays where the quarterback has either turned down an open receiver or bailed out of a clean pocket. And Baker Mayfield leads the league in that by a million. He has 12, and the next highest is Russell Wilson at 9, and the next highest is Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray at 5 each. So Baker Mayfield has more than double the times he's bailed out or turned down open receivers of everybody except Russell Wilson. Ellis, you're new. You're just getting here, but do you see that at times from him? Do you see a quarterback who is maybe making it look like there's even more pressure on him than there actually is? Yeah, you can tell he's he's bailing out of the pocket and um, favoring rolling right in a lot of these situations. Um, that can be credited to not trusting uh, the old line to um, feeling like there's pressure there, even though there might not be. Um, you did say earlier that he is stepping up and making some of these throws. I really would like to see him um, know he's going to take a hit and make that throw and standing yeah. in the pocket. I know he's capable. It just hasn't um, shown yet. Instead, he's bailing out, as you said, um, and a lot of that can just be um, stuff you make up in your own head that the pressure's there when it really isn't. And as we've seen, it's taking away um, opportunities for him to hit open receivers because these guys are getting open in one-on-one coverage. Do you think it's more – in stuff like that, is it more mental or is it something he's not seeing in the field? Right? Is he not seeing the open receivers or is, he, is it something in his body? He's like, i got to get out of here. So a lot of this, um, when it comes to throwing the football, especially at this level, is you're not really going to even see it before it's there to throw it. You need to, as most people know, you need to be able to anticipate these throws. And going with this team, and Freddie talked about it today, um, this is a new group of guys Odell spoke about in the locker room yesterday. Uh, this is a new unit. They need to, they're not the Rams who have been together for uh, close to three years now. They have to get used to playing with each other. So I'm not sure Baker entirely trusts and knows where these guys are going to be yet. And we've seen it on some miscues, whether it's Landry across the middle, um, Odell on Monday night, thinking someone's going to sit and stop when someone keeps going. So rather than seeing it, I don't think he's on the same page with the anticipation with these uh, receivers and tight ends yet. That's the thing. Sometimes, and I even get confused by this, when Baker misses a guy by like three yards, he didn't. No. It wasn't a, a bad throw. It was a miscommunication. It was a misread of, you didn't go where I thought you were going to be. These are NFL quarterbacks. They don't miss throws by three yards. No, they don't, especially a guy like Baker who's praised for his accuracy. Um, a lot of these receivers, specifically Odell, Jarvis Landry, when you get to this level, um, they put extra shakes, extra moves at the top of their routes, um, things that might take a little later to develop. And Baker's just not used to seeing that. Um, the, it's detailed how much time Beckham has missed, and I think that's showing with uh, Baker right now and their timing. All right, so let's get to these these four plays from the four-yard line. Um, I talked to Freddie a little bit after the news conference on Sunday night, and he did say the first play that we're looking at, and again, you guys don't have to be watching this with us, but if you recorded the game, you can, and you're in front of your TV, you can do this, but we're going to d- describe it in a way that you can follow along. He said the first play did have a run option, Okay. And you can see that they lined up initially and Nick Chubb was in the backfield. And then Baker Mayfield saw the coverage, saw zero coverage, saw that we're not going to be able to run against this. And he motioned 
Nick Chubb out to the side. So they wind up with an empty set, but there was a moment in there where if they got a different look defensively, they could have run the ball. So Freddie Kitchens, in the scheme of they did not run it in these four plays, Freddie Kitchens admitted that was a a mistake by them, but there were moments in these plays where there was a run option and then the the defense took that away. So let's watch this first play as this unfolds. They now have empty. They have the three receivers on the right, and here comes a blitz. And I thought there for a second, Ellis, that blitz, should that blitz from the top side throw off that play or is Odell Beckham open right in the middle of the field here? Odell Beckham seems to get leverage against single coverage. Should Baker Mayfield make that quick? Here it is. It's like they failed. It looks for a half second like there's a a chance to hit Odell Beckham for a touchdown on the first play in the red zone. And then that would have changed everything. Or is that not there? Yeah, so really the Browns probably got exactly what they wanted here. Um, Baker made the right check motioning Nick Chubb out. Um, they've got man coverage across the middle here with one-on-one Beckham or one-on-one coverage with Odell Beckham right there. And again, as you said, that's the look they're going for. Odell beats his man inside, really similar to the first touchdown um, to Harris where you're looking to get inside there, throw the ball high where only your guy can get it. Instead, Baker, um, knowing the pressure's coming, he made the right check, uh, instead goes away from Beckham um, in the throws incomplete. Should he, and you can see it here, both Beckham and that's Harris, I guess, on the other side, they both have leverage against their defenders. They both have sealed them off, and there's a throw in the middle of the field. Instead, he goes to Landry with with a ball that's high and just never has a shot at all. Is that, there was a blitzer in his face, an an unblocked blitzer, but again, you're accounting for that with some of these routes. Is this a mistake by Baker Mayfield, or does this happen to every quarterback? Or does Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Lamar Jackson, Kyle, do the best quarterbacks in this game make that throw to the right guy there? Sure. So Baker's going to get there. You just named some guys, especially early there with the Brady's and Rodgers of the world that um, have seen this a million times and make the right read there. Um, That's a pre-snap decision. I'm willing to bet Baker knew he was going to throw the ball to Jarvis there. Um, Probably liked the matchup um, with him in the slot compared to how far inside Odell Beckham is, knowing that the tight end on the other side is possibly going to get into Beckham's window. Uh, Landry had an opportunity to really be isolated and have the entire back end of the end zone to work with. Um, instead, the blitz comes, Landry kind of gets hit at the line, and the window's never there. You can see, I mean, it's like, again, I, I understand this anticipation. Odell has his head turned and is ready for the ball yep. as Baker is throwing it. Jarvis is not really ready exactly. yet. The blitzer makes ba- Baker Mayfield get rid of the ball earlier than he wanted to, but it just looked like, man, that was Odell there maybe if you wanted it. Again, I think the context we want to have the discussions in is the context of analyzing some of the rest of this, right, Ellis? Yeah, exactly. Until you look at this and truly hear us out, and you got to understand that Kitchens called some plays that put the Browns in a situation um, to have an opportunity to either tie or win the game by going for two there. Um, this is just the first down play, and we're going to go through the other three. Uh, I'm willing to say that each, all four of these plays um, had the ball gone to the right spot would have ended in a touchdown. And, and again, Freddie's not going to say that, but I think like somewhere in between the, the 11 times he said, blame me, you can read in there that there is some blame to go elsewhere. But again, he's the coach. He's going to take it. Yeah, this is exactly. the second down play. And when I, when I, I talked to Freddie a little bit after, 
He admitted this was the mistake. He should have run the ball on this second down play, he said. Of all the things that when they should have run it, Baker Mayfield does have Nick Chubb with him here. They have a different look, and there's not a run option in this play call, the way Freddie described right. it. Right, so me. what makes this hard for a run check is um, they're going to end up uh, in sprint out, and that makes it near impossible to have a run check there. So they have Jarvis Landry coming in motion here, but they are dedicated to throwing the ball here on this second down play. And and it is a planned rollout. Yeah, so there's no way to check um, run there unless you completely uh, scrap the play and call a different option there. That is sprint out. That's premeditated. Um, That is the look they wanted. And again, we're going to get into it, but uh, Baker had Odell open in the corner of the end zone here. Baker... You, Odell goes. He has two guys go short. Ratley and Jarvis are short of the of the goal line, and Odell goes deep. And Baker is not immediately under pressure. Oh. And some defenders come up and help on the short receivers, but it does. It looks like Odell is is kind of one on one. If he puts a little air on this ball and gives Odell a chance to run to the corner of the end zone with a little yep. touch. That be- is Odell Beckham making that catch? That becomes a routine pitch and catch for Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield. Um, and I'd be willing to argue because the ball's tipped there, we're never able to see if it gets to Landry. Landry had position. Um, he's probably being tackled on the one there or maybe fights to get in. Uh, but if Baker changes the trajectory of this ball here, it likely doesn't get tipped as he'd be throwing it higher and over uh, the defender into the corner of the end zone for Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, the, the, the defensive lineman breaks that up. But again, the different kind of throw there, which would have been to Odell wouldn't have gotten tipped. That's a great point. Yeah, and the irony of all this is uh, on these first two plays, he's looking for Jarvis Landry, and we're going to get into the third play here um, when Jarvis Landry is wide open and he doesn't go to him. So yeah. it really was just one of those nights. And, and, and Ellis, what, what is the right I, – I, I understand. The hard part of all this with the Browns is that the time is now. Anybody who has, has read Cleveland.com or has listened to Takes by the Lake or has been around for the past six months understands this. There's no more building in the NFL. Your window opens as soon as you put any kind of structure around a quarterback on a rookie contract right. who can play. You have to the, – the Carson Wentz situation in Philadelphia, the Rams getting there with Jared Goff. You see what happens when you've got to pay your quarterback. Russell Wilson got there early with the Seahawks. They had Russell Wilson on a super cheap rookie deal. They're able to put all that money in their defense. They win a Super Bowl. Now, Russell Wilson's still there, and they're still good, but their defense has been stripped down because now you're paying Russell Wilson a ton of money, and you can't build your team the same way. The hard part of all this, as Freddie Kitchen says, I have to learn, and we have to get used to Odell, and we're, we're coming along, is this is not really a come-along situation. This is a you should be a playoff team right now situation because there are three or four starters on this team who are good players who aren't going to be here next year because they're not going to be able to afford them. So do you see things, Ellis, that show you this? Yes, some of this is still Freddie as a a head coach for the first time calling plays. Baker is only – has only started barely a full season of games now. He's never played with Odell. Odell didn't play in preseason games. Do you see things here that look like guys who are still finding their groove together? Yeah, that's exactly what's going on here. Again, we alluded to it earlier where these receivers just aren't on the same page with Baker Mayfield yet. And as we're going through this breakdown, uh, it's quite obvious that the Browns should have had the opportunity to either kick a point after or win the game by going for two. You know, Freddie wouldn't... uh, (laughs) Mentioned if I think he would have gone. I think he would have too. He was going to go and win this football game. Uh, and then we're obviously talking about a completely different Brown team here, one that put their footprint on the national map. 
Um, it, you do mention how it is win now, but I don't think we can lose track of the the truth that is that this is week three. Um, they took the NFC champion Rams, who look like sure runaways to win the Super Bowl last year until Gurley and Cooper Cup injuries, um, to the final play of the game to either tie or again win it. Um, and we also have been talking about Baker Mayfield feeling uneasy in the pocket. Um, not too many people would handle having Aaron Donald in your face all night um, and not bail out of the pocket or assume pressure's coming. So we do have to keep in context the magnitude of the task at hand for the Browns last night. And as we keep going through these red zone opportunities, uh, it was right there for them to win. I, I, I was the. The Rams went to the Super Bowl last year. The Rams team that played on Sunday night in Cleveland was better than the Super Bowl team because they had Cooper Cup. Exactly. He's the difference. He's the difference maker there. He You can't guard him. No, you can't. And he's what makes that <laughs> offense go, um, even when Todd Gurley faded away a little bit last year. And as he has been this year, as we still try to figure out what's going on with him, um, McVay just schemes up ways to get Cup open. And that is a true marriage, just as uh, Goff and McVay are, uh, Cup and McVay. He he said it on the conference call. He has a receiver in Cooper Cup who knows where to be on the football field, how to get open, whether it's in-out option routes. Um, he continues to win, and he put on a clinic Sunday night. I will say I asked T.J. Carey about this in the locker room on Monday. He was on Cooper Cup on Cup's first touchdown yep. on Sunday night. It's just a quick little out route. It's not complicated, but Goff threw it on time. So where is the easy – like? There's not even a decision. Jared Goff was throwing that ball to Cooper Cup the, mo- yep. the moment it was snapped. Where, Where's that? The Browns have been putting Odell Beckham almost exclusively in the slot, especially on gotta-have-it plays, as we saw here on uh, first and second down, trying to get him in space. But what condensing the field like that does to a receiver is it makes them easier to double-team and bracket them. You can have a man over um, in their face in shade and then the safety over the top which is what happened um, on these last two plays here for the Browns, where on Cooper Cup's touchdown, uh, McVay brings Cup out wide, essentially putting him on an island. I like to reference uh, the Patriots and Rob Gronkowski, how they always used to do that. You knew it was easy money when Gronk was split out wide, and there's no way to really bracket him unless you literally bring two guys over there. So I'd like to see the Browns going forward, and I I would say look for it, um, to have Odell Beckham Jr. split out wide more, um, rather than a slot receiver, which makes him an easy target to double. All right, so this is the third down play. This is another one where it feels like there's going to be a throw that can be made. And Baker said after the game that he's going to have nightmares because he thinks Jarvis Landry came open. As you see this, he is releasing the ball from the 12-yard line in a clean pocket. Demetrius Harris, you can't even really see him because he's so covered by two Rams. And again, Jarvis Landry has inside leverage off his guy should baker mayfield have a nightmare about this yeah i mean that's one he'll he'll never get back and that uh could have won the browns a football game i mean that's as simple pitch and catch as it gets that's a slant on the inside landry has him over the top um he would walk into the end zone worst case scenario he falls in and uh that's six okay so let's see uh and and now again that ball kind of hits harris in the hands but i mean with all the talent and i get what you're saying ellis and you're right you've got to run your plays and just assume the next guy can take care of it with all the talent that they have on the field the five guys in the route he's number five in terms of like the guy who has the best chance to make a play now if coverage dictates the throw then so be it but where we're looking at right now, there's two guys on Nick Chubb, one of whom is Marcus Peters, who fell down trying to cover Odell yep. Beckham. There's one on Beckham, one on Landry, one on Ratley, and there's two on Harris. Yep. So 
as a high school golfer, I look at that and say, dude, you're throwing to the worst pass catcher out there who also is double covered. That doesn't seem like the right decision to me. Again, it hits him in the hands. It could have been caught. I don't think it should have been caught. I think it could have been caught. But if you're the Browns and you're putting your chance to beat a Super Bowl team on the hands of Demetrius Harris, that's not where you should be putting a game. No, it isn't. And again, I think this goes back to a reoccurring theme with Baker in the red zone last night is he's making predetermined throws. He's going to throw it to where he thinks his best matchup is in the pre-snap rather than quickly reacting to seeing a break. Even when Odell um, broke off his defender like that and you saw the safety roll over to go back to double, there was a window there where you could have thrown back shoulder to Odell Beckham yep. um, because his entire would have been his left side is wide open on that left shoulder. Uh, again, this goes back to timing. Uh, you, you don't become Aaron Rodgers and say Jordy Nelson or James Jones on back shoulder by missing um, all the volunteer workouts without your quarterback. So, Again, this just goes back to a recap. Oh, so you're, are you are you bringing times. that you bringing that in my house? <laughs> I told I told I told Odell Beckham Jr. he could go ride his bike around France all year. As far as I was concerned, you think there's some of that creeping in to moments like this? I, I think it is. And listen, there either there's going to be growing pains, whether it's then or when the real thing happens on a football field. I don't care how many times you have volunteer workouts, practice, even these joint scrimmages, you can't replicate what goes on. Sunday night, lights on bright, fourth down, trying to make a play. So these things are going to take time. It's September, and as you said, this is made to win now. Um, winning now just means division, wild card, getting in the big dance to go and win a Super Bowl. This game right here, we need to look at the things where the Browns showed signs of life to win this game, uh, and those moments with Beckham and Landry will come later, I believe. They weren't outclassed. They had they had an entirely backup secondary. They're still missing two of their five best skill players on offense, and Njoku and Higgins. Um, they're playing a guy off the street at right tackle, and basically a guy off the, because of an injury, and a guy off the street at right guard because they have a bust as a draft pick. And they weren't they weren't outclassed. Right. They made some big plays in the moment. The defense played really well to keep them in the game. And we're looking at specific instances where we're literally talking about one more play. Yeah, exactly. And what's wild about last night is the Browns are winning the turnover differential by they were plus three against the Rams yeah. last night going into this this final play here, um, which goes with what you said. They were not outclassed and instead had every opportunity to win. Let's look at this fourth down play. Again, there's there's no thought of a run here. They're going five wide right off the bat. Odell Beckham Jr. in the slot. Nick Chubb out wide. It's the same formation. Yeah, see, and that's what's disappointing about this is we're not seeing much of a variance in formation. Um, even motioning Chubb back in here would have been interesting uh, just to see how the Rams react to that. Maybe gives Odell a more of a free release outside even though he ends up breaking Because if, if you motion Chubb in at this point, again, Chubb is split out wide left. Odell to the slot left. If you motion Chubb in and leave Odell as the widest guy on the left side of the field, now they've got to make a decision of how they're yes. going to exactly double cover him, or you're going to maybe leave open that little quick out. Exactly, exactly. You leave the quick out open, and if you're going to play him like this with that much outside shade, safety over the top and the DB, what Talib's giving up there, he, he's got one assignment there, and you're, he is not letting Odell Beckham get outside of him. That's what that outside shade shows. Um, slant could be there, but that's um, over the top, who I believe is Eric Weddle um, is supposed to cover that up. He's that, probably getting blown up there. Um, but there's a quick. There would be a chance for it to come out quick, but this ball doesn't come out quick yep. um, at all. 
that's as soon as this play doesn't happen right in there. rhythm, it's dead. And again, it was disappointing to me that your fourth down play, there is pressure. This, I think, is some legitimate pressure, right? This, this is Greg Robinson yep. getting yep. beat around the edge, yep. um, which, again, is, is going to be part of your life. Um, if, if you're going to play these tackles, you're going to have to account for this. But I, I just didn't like that here comes the linebacker blitzing from the outside. Robinson's there. Robertson has the pickup and then just lets him by and blows it up. Yep. And now it's just a scramble drill, and it just your heart sinks. It, from the four-yard line on fourth down in the final 30 seconds, now we're in scramble drill mode. Yep. Even if there's a miracle here, you should be efficient and, and rhythmic and creative. You shouldn't be hoping for a miracle. Yeah. No, th- that can't be where you're at. And watching this play really um, made me wonder what – Cleveland was looking for here. Um, you knew the do- double-teamed Odell Beckham was coming. They showed that pre-snap. Baker Mayfield sounded like he was surprised there was a double-team on Jarvis Landry late, which essentially resulted in this boot-out. Which um, is right here on the goal line. That Jarvis cannot get open. No, not a, not a chance he's getting open there. So what I want the theme of this segment to be, though, is that, truthfully, the Browns had four chances to score, and I believe all four of these plays would have resulted in touchdowns had the right decision been made. Uh, this clip's going around Twitter, the screenshot from the, the wide version. You can't see it on the broadcast, but when Baker snaps that football, there's the seize part for him to go right up the middle on a QB keeper. Now, that wouldn't have been by design. Uh, you hear stories of coordinators and head coaches keeping that idea in their coach's ear. I remember my quarterback would get that call and say, hey, you might have to take off and run with this one. I don't know if Baker and Freddie are having those conversations, but the only way this play works is if Baker pulls a Daniel Jones. Now it's now we're calling it the oh Daniel my God. Jones, right? Now we're calling wow, it the Daniel Jones. You are Jones. just coming in hot. <laughs> and goes up the middle, keeps it himself for that touchdown because it, it's there. You can see the Rams linebackers part. They're not they're, One attention goes to uh, Beckham. The other one is the other slot receiver. And Baker had it up the middle there, but instead he boots right and um, throws a pick to end the game. And there's nothing there. I didn't even. I just. I realized today it was a pick. I didn't even know yeah. it was a pick. I yeah. just thought it was a fourth down turnover. Or, um, it's dead. It's dead. And again, it's just. It's a little. I mean, I understand this is how it works. It's a four man pressure with five guys blocking. That means there's seven guys in the route um, covering five. Yep. And. They got pressure. They yep. blew up the play, yep. and and the the tackles the tackles are bad. They're not the worst tackles in the history of football. I think Chris Hubbard's been really bad. He was hurt for this game. I don't think they miss Chris Hubbard at all. Um, Robinson, I think at times their pass blocking has been okay. I think they, Hubbard was really bad in the run game last week. But anyway, um, it's moments like this. It's like one of these things of, and I don't care as much. It's like oh, you had good protection on like uh, on second and four. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. You got blown up yeah. on fourth and goal when with the game on yep. the line. And they got four-man pressure, and now you have seven guys covering five, and there's nothing there. There's no rhythm, and now Baker's just hoping for a prayer. And, you know, could you have made a play there? I don't know, but you're in desperate situations. No, you're in desperate situations, and Baker said this after the game. He's going to where he finally recognizes the one-on-one matchup is. Um, but what I would like to see Kitchens do in those situations is when you know pressure's coming and you're up against a defensive front that your O-line just doesn't have the right matchup for, um, they need to throw Nick Chubb the football more. 
uh, in the flats and just get the ball out and let him have an opportunity to go make a play. Uh, you know, they say the tight end is a, the quarterback's best friend with pressure, but really it's becoming the running back now. Um, you dump it off to Nick Chubb, and he there's a good chance he can make a linebacker miss and probably walk into the end zone in that situation. Uh, we just haven't seen any of that. I know they've been trying to get Chubb the ball uh, in the screen game, but that's just such a um, cookie-cutter way to get your running back the ball uh, in the passing game. We need to see more quick passes out of the backfield, um, some flare stuff that put pressure on these linebackers and safeties chasing Nick Chubb. All right, so we've we've gone longer than I thought we would. I hope that was informative to you guys. I do want to run through real quickly um, the red zone stuff when it was uh, 3 nothing Rams early in the second quarter. Um, but I want to ask a quick question since you brought up the screen game. They hit a really important screen for like 30 yards on third down, I think it was, late in the game. Yep. But I felt like they must have thrown or tried to throw maybe like seven screens to Chubb. Yeah. And I thought like at least five of them sucked. Yeah. And nope. so it was nice to hit that 30-yard one. I thought they were very off-kilter on the timing on a lot of those screens. Some of them were incomplete. Some of them got tackled for no gain. I, I thought they leaned screen Way too much. They did, and on one of those that you're talking about, uh, it looked like the polling guard um, either came out too late or Nick Chubb was just way ahead of him. I mean, the, your, your pass catcher running back should not be catching the ball in front of your polling tackle and guard on a screen. Um, that's a recipe for disaster. They're in fr- they're supposed to be in front of you blocking, <laughs> not behind you watching you run. Um, <laughs> go, Nick, go! Yeah, exactly. That's not, that's not <laughs> how you draw that one up. Um, so that was just... One example of a screen game that they could not get going, uh, I think on one screen that worked, they had it end up getting called back for um, blocking or pass interference, which is just you're blocking downfield. Um, that's a that's a mental error. Uh, so, again, getting the ball to these running backs is important, but it is cookie-cutter to do it in the screen game, and especially to keep going back to the screen game. There's other ways they can get Chubb the football uh, and I hope Freddie has something drawn up for next week like that. All right, so I want to run through this a little more quickly because my point in this is that they did not run the ball in the red zone at the end of the game. Here, they did run the ball. Yep. They tried to run the ball here, and, and watching them run the ball here sort of makes you think, like, well, maybe they didn't need to run the ball. So this is an RPO on first down from the, I guess it's the nine, okay? They're going to run. They're going to Baker Mayfield's going to hand it to Nick Chubb. And fake, do that pump fake, yep. throw. But I, th- I think Baker, and it's you don't get all the RPOs right all the time. Right. But you got to get them right a lot of the time. Yep. He hands off to Nick Chubb here. Nick Chubb's going to get two yards. There's yep. not much there. I think the screen to Beckham is more there here, that he made the wrong read and should have thrown this to Odell Beckham. Yeah, it's a numbers game. So right now we're looking at Odell Beckham uh, at the bottom or at the top of the screen, uh, doing a little essentially a bubble route to the outside. We've got two blockers up top, uh, corners already occupied, and the other receiver is going to get the safety. Uh, Odell Beckham's man is nearly on the hash and uh, has no chance of making a play on there on the ball there. So Beckham catches this, and it's going to be a, a gain of at least four or five. And with uh, his ability to make people miss, he could uh, get in the end zone there. And uh, like you said, that's just a misread on Baker. Uh, again, I'm worried he's coming up with a lot of this predeterminedly instead of making the read. 
Um, but those are split second decisions that hopefully he can just feel out as we go forward. And then again, that does that is Ohio State had a lot of problem with the RPOs last year. Their line wasn't comfortable blocking it. Yep. Dwayne Haskins wasn't particularly comfortable doing it, and they just scrapped it in the middle of the year. Um, I don't think these guys want to scrap it. But, well, they but, can't. It was the only positive I mean, plays really we really was. saw from last night. So and here's why it did not. work. Here's it, it didn't work here. But as you're right. saying, they did hit it for some couple inside throws. Right. Right. Where it did work, yep. so yep, and some of Chubb's best runs also came um, on that on these RPOs when Baker makes the right read when it's a lot easier when they're over uh, selling the the coverage on Beckham and Landry out there and it's essentially a six man box that Chubb can carve up. Um, but when you get down in the, this goal to go area, this is where you can't make the mistakes, and Baker makes a mistake here not throwing it. So they end up running, and it's like, oh look, um, it's not actually it's not Aaron Donald, it's Michael Brockers, but but. Eric Cush can't hold a block, and Nick Chubb has no chance. Right. So again, all right, well, your right guard, who, who shouldn't be your right guard, can't hold a block. And so we're all yelling at Freddie, why didn't you run it from the goal line? But if you run it, and like Eric Cush goal blows a block, or Greg Robinson, or Justin McCray, or anybody, you know, three of your five offensive linemen you have questions about, and it's like, okay, well, maybe I get why they didn't run it. So now it's going to be a second down play, and they're going to run it again. Um, and this one, this this happened a couple times. This is their best defensive line, their, uh, the Browns' best offensive lineman getting smoked by the best defensive player in the game. Yep. Aaron Donald just slices right past Joel Batonio on this play, gets in the backfield, blows it up. They also have like an unblocked linebacker at the second level, so they didn't have a plan for that. But, I mean, sometimes Aaron Donald's going to blow up your plays, right? Yeah, I mean, he's not only the best defensive player in football, he's probably the best player in football. Um, he does this routinely week in and week out uh, to the to offensive linemen in this league. So I think, as you said, that's why Kitchens pulled away from running it, um, especially without an RPO option uh, with goal to goal there because Donald is just – abusing the line up front and those are essentially plays dead in the water when he calls them and that's where we had to cut it off the the, the rest of uh, our discussion got got too botched up um in the corrupted audio file but but basically i think that was worth it that took you through the four plays late in the game the two red zone run calls to start and then the third the third down play on the initial in the red zone um that we were talking about in the first half was a was another throw that got blown up and Baker got flushed to the right. So again, the, the thing I was disappointed on again is the the two do or die plays in the red zone. You wind up being flushed um, to the right in a situation where it's just going to be hard to make a play there with with only half the field and the way the Rams are playing you. And you know he's not going to be Lamar Jackson in that moment and do two spin moves and get in the end zone. So you'd like that to be in rhythm. So anyway, we are going to start emphasizing podcasts even more at cleveland.com, which means that I think that our quality across the board in terms of audio, although I'm holding a very nice microphone right now, and I've been carrying this microphone around, and it's a big white ball about the size of a softball, and people think I'm going to attack them with it. It's like a softball on a stick. It could do some damage. But anyway, I think our audio quality is going to elevate even more, um, but I will be honest with you. Right now, it's a Tuesday. I'm getting this up late. I was in Berea on Monday afternoon with Ellis. Tried to edit this Monday night. Edited part of it. Couldn't get it all done. I recorded the intro here at Ohio State at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center sitting outside in front of a giant air conditioner because we just got done with Ryan Day's news conference on Tuesday. There's a lot of football going on in this state. 
And I want to talk about it, but sometimes I can't get into a luxurious studio with the perfect microphone uh, and perfect editing software because I am doing this on the fly, baby. So I'll tell you what I tell my wife. If you want a piece of Dougie in football season, you either take him on the fly or you don't get him at all. So this is how we're going to make it work. I appreciate Ellis. I hope you guys really uh, enjoy his work for us. Make sure you're reading him and following him on Twitter. Um, I'm Doug Maurice, and if you don't know me by now, you don't want to know me. So Buckeye Talk coming up this week. Big trip to Nebraska. I will be in Nebraska on Saturday for Ohio State at Nebraska. will not be at the Browns game on Sunday against the Ravens, but I'll be home watching. And we'll be back talking and write about it next week. So thanks to you guys. Thanks for uh, thanks to Ellis for hanging out. Um, expect, hopefully, a new look, old look offense on Sunday in Baltimore. That's Takes by the Lake. And we'll talk to you next time.